power on. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Technica podcast feed. It's TIE Fighter Renegades, a Star Wars podcast. Um, wow. So, <laughs> I have to say, uh, well, so if you heard the recently released TIE Fighter Renegades, of course, that covered the first three episodes of Star Wars Ahsoka, which is a show in which, if you've listened to that episode of TIE Fighter Renegades, uh, you know um, I'm really enjoying it thus far. Um, you, you might have noticed a bit of like audio quality quibble. We were recording at Rob's and I don't know, I, I must have botched something. So anyway, did the best of it as we could. It was such a great recording. I didn't want to just like, well, A, didn't have the time to go, you know, rock another two hours with Rob, at least before episode four of Ahsoka comes out, or should I say part four, calling it episodes <laughs> creates so many problems, right? With Star Wars, because when you say it's episode one of a show, it's like, well, wait, do you mean episode one? Do you mean the Phantom Menace or do you mean like the first episode of some new series? And so saying part or chapter uh, is a pretty important thing. And and actually, one of the things I'll, I'll say this. So first off, of course, I apologize for the audio quality on that. We did the best that we could with it. Um, we just we wouldn't have had the opportunity to, to record again. And it was such dynamite stuff. One of the points I didn't get to get in there that has really changed the way I perceive a lot of streaming content is, you know, by and large, minus what happens, say, on what used to be called network television, you know, NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, whatever, um, minus what goes on with, say, you know, on those networks and really, or what's on, like, you know, whatever, some stupid network in the 500s like the travel channel or something you know the idea of a television series really no longer exists like what most people go to watch is really just a movie broken up into multiple parts which is something i'm actually kind of digging about the nomenclature of star wars ahsoka where they're calling it part one part two part three they're really letting you know this is a movie, you know, it's a one shot broken up into eight parts. Um, and I think a lot of my, now look, most of the stuff made today is shit. Nothing's going to change my mind about that. And it's just true. But, uh, I think when you recognize, I guess what I'm saying is that Tell, when you're expecting something to be a, t- a series, a TV show, whatever the fuck TV show means today, because what are you watching it on? Most people aren't even probably watching it on a what a, technically what is a television. OK, um, you know, when you think it's a TV series, you kind of expect it to follow the rules. Honestly, I think for most people of, I don't know, the next generation Seinfeld, take your pick of whatever show. Okay, but that's not how these things are made. They're really just movies split into a bunch of parts. And that's a very different style of writing and production and editing even than, you know, than a traditional TV series from 20, 30 years ago. Okay, and I think that I end up with, and I think this is true for a lot of other people, I think they end up with a negative connotation and they have... 
um, expectations that aren't met because they perceive it as a series. And so they expect it to follow the rules of a series of a television series, uh, you know, that have been the rules seemingly for decades. Right. But it's not. So I think a really key thing is to pay attention to a lot of the details of the presentation of these quote unquote shows or series and really recognize that they're, they're really, they're movies. They're, they're long films. They're not shows. They're not television shows. And I think Ahsoka is a case of that where it is a full on movie. And, you know, I, I think I made this point in the episode of TIE Fighter Renegades. Uh, this really should have been episode seven, you know, instead of the force awakens, honestly, we should have gotten this, uh, in my opinion, it feels that right. Um, the biggest thing going for it for me isn't even Thrawn who, you know, we talked about recently, how he's my favorite character in star Wars ever. Um, or at least with the old EU, you know, <laughs> the, the new EU is, remains to be seen how, how well they're going to do with them. But certainly with the books, they treated him right in rebels, maybe not always, but whatever, it's fine. Um, but you know, the, the winner for me with, with, the, with Ahsoka, which they could have just as easily probably called heir to the empire, you know, and we do know that John Favreau and, uh, you know, and of course the, the, the heir to the empire, Dave Filoni went and talked to Timothy Zahn to make sure that they were doing Thrawn right, which that gives me hope that they were doing that. Um, I want to, I want to talk a little bit more about Timothy Zahn here in a second. Okay. But, um, yeah, th this, this is really, like I was going to say, the best part of this really comes down to the fact that this is the perfect amalgamation to me of the Phantom Menace and Return of the Jedi with sprinkles of Empire Strikes Back in it. Uh, and of course, A New Hope as well. Really sprinkles of the entire six films, right? You're getting stuff from episode three, you're getting stuff from episode two even. Um, but the, the ultimate feel of it is it feels like you know, the continuation of the, of the, the visual language and also sonic language of, I guess you'd say oral as an A-U-R-A-L, uh, of Return of the Jedi mixed in with the, the slowness, the breathing, the style of the prequel trilogy, which I've always applauded. Always. I've always said, no, no, this is good. He's going, if you, you think he's going for like something Shakespearean and it sounds corny or whatever. No, fucking great. You know, and there was a point. I mean, a, a lot of people don't don't re, don't realize this because they didn't <laughs> they haven't read every goddamn thing like I did, <laughs> especially about the prequels. Um, but there was a point to, you know, like Hayden Christensen speaking in a very stilted manner. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, he's a terrible actor. No, 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 no. He needed to sound like when he becomes Darth Vader. The speech pattern between Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader needed to be the same. And so you wanted, like, Hayden Christensen was only acting how he was directed and what would be consistent with the presentation of Darth Vader in, you know, episodes four, five, and six. That was the point. So I like this. I, again, just overall point. I like the presentation, the style that we're getting. Uh, in, in Ahsoka 
And I think Filoni's doing a phenomenal job of melding basically the two George Lucases, even though the original trilogy, as I've said many times, A New Hope honestly sucks. But the, you know, five and six were more creations of the likes of, uh, you know, Larry Kasdan, Gary Kurtz, of course, with Empire, Irvin Kirshner, and so on. Um, and, and we know Return of the Jedi was supposed to be a wildly different film, and there's still elements of it within the film, right? Uh, like the Sanctuary Moon, that's actually a reference to a completely different script, uh, or a very different script, anyway, for Return of the Jedi. Um, so, yeah, I think that Filoni is doing, is doing a phenomenal job, again, of bringing these two versions of Star Wars and really these two versions of Lucas uh, together into one production. Uh, and I'm, I'm really, really digging what's going on. Uh, we'll see certainly on, on Tano Tuesday, as they call it, uh, when episode four comes out uh, or <laughs> part four of Ahsoka comes out. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Um, anyway, to talk about Timothy Zahn for a second, I just want to make this point really clear. Uh, I think for, for a lot of Star Wars fans, and I, and I don't think they realize this, and I know I've said this on episodes of TIE Fighter Renegades over the years, okay? But I, I think a lot of Star Wars fans don't don't really appreciate. They don't understand that, you know, George Lucas, after 1983, after Return of the Jedi came out, you know, we only, he only took us so far with Star Wars, okay? Everything that we really came to know and love and appreciate about Star Wars and all of the color you know, that it gets added in where, you know, you talk to fans back in the nineties of the original trilogy and like, they could tell you all the names of all these little fucking characters in every scene, you know, whether it's Jabba's palace or Mos Eisley or whatever, you know, they could tell you all these characters. Look, yeah, George Lucas created, you know, you could argue that he were at least inspired, maybe not entirely designed, you know, uh, uh, the look of a lot of these creatures, of course, the, 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 the sound of them would be by Ben Burt and so on, you know, and Dennis Murin coming in doing his thing. So, you know, it wasn't just George Lucas, but here's, here's the deal. Like the star Wars universe that we understood in the nineties, even before, uh, episode one was not the creation of George Lucas, you know? Yeah. George Lucas built the sandbox, but he didn't build the castles. Not really. Okay. And I'm not knocking George Lucas. He's still a genius. He's still brilliant. He's still, you know, and, and star Wars is still ultimately his baby. Again, he built the sandbox for the baby to be in, you know, it's still his, the, the, the overall themes. Um, and these themes honestly speak more to me than ever before. Uh, <laughs> just in, in, in my present, uh, my own present trajectory. Um, it's really powerful stuff. Like star Wars to me has deeper meaning now than it ever has. And it more has to do with, you know, what George has said about it outside of Star Wars, not necessarily what is explicitly stated within Star Wars. OK, but I just want to be clear that, you know, I've said this over and over again. The real thing that that gets the reason why Star Wars was accepted by the masses as to where Star Trek was not right. Like if you're into Star Trek in the 80s and 90s, you're a fucking dork. OK, not until, you know, t the next generation became a, like the big hotness. Okay. Um, and one of the most popular shows in the world. Uh, but if you're into star Wars, yeah, okay, that's fine. Like star Wars is okay. Now the reason is, is that star Wars had the cool factor. Star Wars was just cool. It looked cool and nothing looked like 
ter- nothing really looked odd or forehead of the week or anything like that. Everything looked really legit and everything was presented as overall cool and had a certain timeless quality to it. And that's why it was accepted by the masses, right? Okay. So something usually accepted by the masses often doesn't have a degree of longevity. Okay. We've got great questions. We're going to get into some esoteric stuff. Don't worry. I'm just opening this up. I want to get these points out. Okay. Um, for example, about my, my point about longevity, that that's something for the masses doesn't have it. Now, I mean, people can be into something and read more into it and keep it going, right? Like somehow there are still fans of the Twilight Saga. I don't know how, but there are. Okay. Even though there's like nothing within those films. I mean, that is, you know, it's not even icing on the cake. I don't know that (laughs) there's just, it's empty calories, right? Okay. So regard, but my point to prove it, what is the single biggest most watched uh, and show that actually made the most money based upon advertising as well. Every metric that there is one show that blows away all other shows. What is the biggest show in history? Do you know the answer to that? I know the answer to that. I'm a, still a fan of it actually, but I know most people aren't. They don't give a fucking rat's ass. Don't even think twice about it. Nine, 90% of the time, 99% of the time, the biggest show in history. Game of Thrones, you think it's Game of Thrones? No, I'm a fan of it, I said, and I'm, you know, I'm not a fan of Game of Thrones. No, the biggest show literally in history is Baywatch. Nothing even comes close. Nothing comes close. And you know why it was the biggest show in history? Because it actually appealed to, do you know the demographics that watch Baywatch? I know what you're thinking, right? Uh, Sub 18 years old, male, (laughs) right? Or maybe maybe a, a, a forty plus male is it that that's what you think is the highest demographic for for Baywatch? You're dead wrong. You're dead fucking wrong. Like it, it's it's preposterous how 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 wrong you are if you think that. But that's okay because the internet wasn't there. You couldn't actually read the room, and you could only you know kind of laugh at whatever you know the people next door told you or something. Anyway, no. The reason that that show is the biggest ever is because its demographic was sixty five percent female 65 percent there isn't outside of soap operas there is not a single other primetime or syndicated show that touched that number but i know what you're thinking you're like oh but fucking pamela anderson oh god oh yeah yeah all the guys are watching no dumbass (laughs) it was women watching the show is it because of david hasselhoff fuck yeah Woo! give it to me that's why i watched the show Anyway, but does anybody watch, does anybody really think about Baywatch anymore? Does anybody watch Baywatch anymore? Anybody give a shit about that anymore? Biggest show in the world. I mean, like hundreds, hundreds of millions. I think that show might have, might have closed in on the billion mark of people that watched. Insane. Unreal. Record companies lining up to get their songs on that show. Not kidding. But it has no longevity, right? Because it appealed to the masses. So they don't know. Okay. Now, why, do, why am I talking about this? Why did we just have a whole tirade on Baywatch? Well, for one, and, and you can go back, you can actually go back like eight years ago. Do you remember when I had Turdum Easter on the show as a guest? And for pick of the week, you know, we were talking crypto the whole episode. And then for pick of the week, we we're talking about, man, Baywatch is the fucking greatest show ever. 
So this ain't nothing new for me. You can even look at the cover artwork of the show. Like like I did a little 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 fun uh, uh, Baywatch cover art for that years and years ago. Anyway, why am I bringing this up? Okay, so here's the thing. So what made Star Wars stay in the popular consciousness, right? We know. We know the answer to this. We objectively know the fucking answer to this. I mean, there's always more than one thing, but we know some of the objective objective answers for this. Okay, here we go. So you had, in the early 90s, you know, Bantam Books is like, uh, or, or Del Rey is like, well, um, you know, we, we, all right, we've got the Star Wars license. Let's do something with it. Let, let's have some fun. You know, in Dark Horse, this little upstart comic book company is like, yeah, all right, well, we've, we've got the license. What the hell? Let's give it a shot. Let's do Dark Empire. And of course, Del Rey would do Heir to the Empire. Both of these... Both of these, and you can talk to the marketing teams about it. At the time, they said, yeah, we didn't know if this was going to sell. We didn't know if this was going to do it. We're Dark Horse. We don't care. You know, we, we've got nothing to lose, so we're going to run it. And Del Rey is like, yeah, what the fuck? We've got plenty of books out there selling fine. Whether it's Dan Simmons or what, you know, it's okay. Let, let's do something on the side. Let's go get this little guy who wrote the Cobra series, not G.I. Joe, who wrote the Cobra series called Timothy Zahn. And yeah, let's, let's give him a known quantity. I mean, if they knew... That Star Wars is going to go through the goddamn, or that Star Wars was still the hotness, that Star Wars was still a big deal. Do you think they would have given it to, nothing against Timothy Zahn. He's one of the greatest science fiction writers ever, in my opinion. Okay? I'm just saying, don't you think they would have given it to somebody with a lot more, you know, name brand? Right? With with a lot, a lot more recognition? Yeah, of course they would have. But no, it was a risk. And so they're like, well, and let's take a risk on Timothy Zahn. He's good at writing like military fiction and it's Star Wars. They seem to get that concept right, that there's supposed to be wars in it. And they bring him in. And of course, it goes through the roof. It's huge. You know, one of, one of the, uh, you know, just this massive selling book on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, Dark Empire ends up really building Dark Horse as a company. Um, and that, you know, that relationship continues on for, you know, almost two decades or actually about two decades. Exactly. Uh, and, and in some ways it's still going on today and it's, it's this huge deal, but nobody knew that it would still be a huge deal, but let's be clear here. It was a huge deal with dorks, with the nerds. It was not a huge deal with everybody else, but there was plenty of nerds that came in droves and picked it up and bought it. Right. Okay, so, but here's the thing, is Timothy Zahn and, you know, Tom Veach with Dark Empire, Timothy Zahn with Heir to the Empire, they made science fiction. They made action. They made stuff that wasn't just cool. They made stuff that had depth, that had meaning, that had character, that had all kinds of shit. Everything that you would expect out of great science fiction. Yeah, yeah, it's space opera, whatever. Okay, science fiction. You brought in science fiction writers. They and they wrote they turned Star Wars into science fiction. That's what gave it its longevity. Was the fact that Heir to the Empire, Dark Empire, uh Crimson Empire, go down the list of, of uh, you know, the Jedi Academy trilogy, Courtship of Princess Leia, all these different, you know, novels that were and you know, Truce Epicura that were big in, in the nineties and everything. Um, these were not made for the masses. The masses did not buy these. The masses didn't even care, right? And you can prove this. You know, how many, if you're, if you've been a Star Wars fan for decades, how many times have you had to tell, you know, your family or some friends or whatever, who aren't into Star Wars, how many times did you have to tell them that no Boba Fett's not dead? And they say, well, wait, did it happen in the movies? 
and you're like, no, it happened in this happened in Air of the Empire, it happened in this book. And they're like, well, then it didn't really happen. Boba Fett's dead, right? How many times did you have to deal with that with common people? All the time. You know you did. And that's my point. Okay, what made Star Wars great is something that does not appeal to the masses. And the irony is, is that Disney has kind of come full circle in that they're trying to appeal to the masses with this when they don't understand that the reason Star Wars is still a brand that fucking matters is because Timothy Zahn and guys like Tom Veach and a whole bunch of other cats didn't make it appeal to the masses, they made it appeal to the nerds. You know, there's so many people who say to me, like, Brian, I mean, like, really, like, hardcore science fiction guys, right, over the years, who would say to me, Brian, how, why are you into Star Wars? Like, that just doesn't seem to have, there's not enough, there's not enough calories, as it were, in that for you. Like, you're so particular, so this, and I understand why they think it's weird that I'm into Star Wars, right? Because to them, them being sweaties, you know, big time nerds, they think that, um, y- y- you know, like for them, like great science fiction is, you, you know, the foundation saga or, uh, you know, an iRobot and stuff by Ray Bradbury and Rama and, you know, and, and uh, you know, 2010 and all, all those great things. Um, but they look at me and they don't get it. And I tell them every time. Yeah, but you did, you know, my response is always, you didn't read the books, you didn't read the comics, because that's where Star Wars got great. Otherwise, yeah, to some degree, Star Wars is just as much empty calories. In fact, in some ways, minus perhaps what some would perceive as a sexiness, it was Baywatch in space. In some ways. So, you know, like that, that's, that's what people don't understand. It's clearly what Disney, Disney does not understand that at all. Um, but then also, I think a lot of Star Wars fans don't understand it either because maybe they don't want to understand it because at least for Star Wars fans for the past 40 years, that's, it's been okay. You know, if you're into like sci-fi and weird shit and all that, I mean, while now everybody's into the weird shit back, you know, 20, 30 years ago, that wasn't true, but Star Wars was the one that was acceptable. So you kind of latched onto that and you don't want to admit to yourself that that that's kind of what's been going on. I can do that, but I understand where a lot of people don't, don't really want to realize it. And so the, the main point that I'm bringing up here, okay, is really that with Ahsoka, I feel like we're on the right trajectory because we're pulling from Timothy Zahn's work and Timothy Zahn, and this is what I've said on TIE Fighter Renegades many times, Timothy Zahn, he's actually, he's, He's Star Wars. Okay. To continue with the analogy I made earlier, George Lucas built the sandbox. Timothy Zahn built the castles. And oh my, what a castle did he build. And I'll include Tom Veach in that too, because I think Dark Empire was was kick-ass. I mean, and some of the others, like Crimson Empire is one of my favorite stories. You know, Kyrkanos is phenomenal. Um, uh, of course, Tales of the Jedi. I mean, like all dynamite fucking stuff that dark horse was putting out in the nineties, but that that's it. Everybody else built the castles. Okay. So we can all thank George. Absolutely. And the prequels. Hey, I love them. I really do. Like I've been a defender of episode one be way before that was cool. I mean, now everybody makes t-shirts of like, you know, prequel apologists and all this shit. Oh baby. <laughs> I'm glad you're making them now, but man, I've been on that long road. I saw that movie six times in theaters. There are, there are many Star Wars fans who make that, who even want, you know, especially 10 years ago, who would even want to make that claim. Be ashamed of it. I'm not. 
because George Lucas was understanding. I think George Lucas actually understood that, oh, he saw what, uh, really, and he can claim otherwise, but I think he saw what Zahn did and some others. It's like, oh, yeah, oh, we can tell stories with this. We, we can get deep. We can get into science fiction. That's why he brought in the midichlorians. He was turning, he was following the lead. He was turning Star Wars into science fiction. Great. I mean, that changed in the Clone Wars through science fiction basically out the window, or at least through the science out anyway. Um, but, but regardless, it's all great. Okay. So that was, I did not expect to go on that, on that long tirade, but I think that that's a very important conversation to be had. Uh, I'll probably append that to an upcoming like TIE fighter renegades or make that a bit of a separate episode. Um, but this is the anatomy of star Wars, you know, and what, what actually made it great and what made it great was not the movies. The movies made it popular. But what made it great was everything outside of that. And, you know, shout out, honestly, shout out to the video games. Because Star Wars was right at the cusp of, you know, the video game boom. And was really able to take advantage of that. Um, you know, you think of like the Super Star Wars trilogy for the, the Super Nintendo. Um the you know pc games like the flight simulators and all that they were just they were there at the right time they got to take advantage of flight sims they got to take advantage of platformers they got to take advantage of all kinds of things you know uh or all kinds of genres and be there for it and you know i mean the n64 was a beast and the edge status of the empire which is still one of the most brilliant fucking ideas in creative ideas in history in my opinion um you know it was just it was a lot of there was a lot of right place right time you know for star wars but Fortunately, because it was such a visual thing, thanks to George Lucas, uh, it lent itself well to a lot of these other visual mediums. So anyway, that's, there you go. The, the anatomy of Star Wars, what makes Star Wars great? There's your actual, I mean, the cool factors there, but it, beyond the cool factor, you have to look beyond George Lucas. And like I said, Disney really doesn't understand that. Okay, let's wrap this up. Let's talk about one of my favorite subjects, personal hero mind, that being, whoo, Satan, let's go. All right, I'm not kidding. <laughs> really, we're going to talk about Satan. All right. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I don't think George Lucas ever got accused of being the devil. David Hasselhoff was. Most people don't remember this. You know, this is one of those things. You know, if you weren't there back in the in the 90s on the internet, you didn't know. Um, but there were there were a few top names for people who were considered online. And this, they were serious. This was being espoused by Christians. Um, there were a few names out there and uh, of, of who was the Antichrist, I should say. Not Satan, but who is, or, well, if you think Satan is the Antichrist. Anyway, that's that's getting into your eschatology and have a good chime. Or have, have a good chime. Yeah, yeah, have a good chime. Dong. Have a good time with that. But most people forget. Um, I want to say the two biggest names in the 90s of people who were predicted to be the Antichrist were... Uh, of course, Bill Gates was huge. Everybody, everybody was just waiting for Bill Gates to come out with some kind of like barcode that you would put on so that you had to use Windows because Windows was just fucking dominating everywhere. Um, and I imagine the U.S. government like really enjoyed that psychological operation. And I mean that quite seriously of demonizing, uh, you know, metaphorically and literally demonizing Bill Gates. Um, because yeah, you know, he was at one point, he really was the most powerful man in the world. Um, so Bill Gates, uh, you know, was, was, was at the top of the list, but right next door, right next to him, you know, kissing cousin, 
was David Hasselhoff. Now, Americans think that that's ridiculous, right? Well, that's because you don't, you know, unfortunately, Americans are uh, so fucking blind and have their own their heads up their own asses uh, that they don't understand that there is there's more to the world and it's not darkness, <laughs> but there's more to the world. And in the rest of the world, much like we were talking about how Baywatch was the biggest fucking show in goddamn history ever. And because it was so popular with women. Okay. Um, people knew this in other parts of the world or they recognized it anyway. And uh, that's why, you know, the guy behind it, that being David Hasselhoff, who's kind of the you know main producer and whatever else or would eventually be. Uh, that I think that is the primary reason. And of course his massive music career in Europe, which, you know, he's bigger than Michael Jackson over there, uh, led to him being claimed to be the antichrist. That wasn't a joke. That was dead serious. Um, and Hasselhoff will still play off of that fact often enough in some of his music videos and even in songs and whatever. And I always enjoy it when I see it. Um, so anyway, here, (laughs) I hope you're getting a lot of history lessons here. Um, and that everything you knew about the entertainment industry is wrong. 